0: If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, and a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, And that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I want to talk this morning about a subject we don't refer to a lot, but it's a genuinely important subject in the Bible. It's called the believer's security. The believer's security. Now, somebody might say, well, that sounds Baptist. Well, it might be. It might be Christian, too. So we'll just leave it at that. The believer's security. The language of the Bible seems to indicate, the language of the Bible does indicate that there is a secure safety system for saints. You like that? A secure safety system for saints. Saints. That is, if a person is begotten, as he spoke of there in verse 3, the word means regenerated, born again. If you have been born again, if a new life has found its lodging place in your heart, and you become a new creature in Christ, there is reserved in heaven for you a place, and while you're on this earth, Walking towards that place, the Bible says you will be kept. Do you see the word kept in verse 5? Well, the word kept means to keep, to guard, or to preserve. Now, I'm sure you would agree with me this morning that if God has chosen to keep me, if God has chosen to preserve me, then I am going to be kept and I'm going to be preserved. Now, I may not know that because of some writing on the wall. I've got to believe this. It doesn't happen because I read a verse of scripture. First of all, God has to do something. It always begins with God and it'll end with God. And he has to do something. Now, what he does seems to be so common amongst church people. They talk about being saved all the time. So we just almost assume that everybody that goes to church is saved. And yet you look at a lot of people's lives, a lot of people's choices, the things they do, the indifference they have to so much of Christianity, you think, well, they're living like they always live. They're the same old people they always were. They're just wandering through life, adding church to their life, hoping that'll make them better someday, maybe at the end. Maybe you'll make it at the end, but that's not what the word kept means. There's more to the word kept than just that. Barnes notes, and I like Barnes notes, a commentary. Barnes says this about the verse that said, You are so kept that you finally obtain salvation. You won't miss it. You'll find it because God will lead you to it. And the fact of the matter is that if God does not lead you to it, you will not find it. That if God does not keep you, you will not be kept. Because you cannot keep yourself. Only God can do it. Now, He does it in a way that requires effort from you. God requires you to walk by faith, doesn't He? And not by sight. As much as He has ordained salvation, He has also ordained that a man would live by faith that is, believe in Him who He does not see. Act as though what he has not yet seen come to pass is going to come to pass, and you're living in anticipation of it. The hope. Faith is the very substance of things that you expect to happen. You don't know that it's going to happen, you believe it's going to happen, and you live like it's going to happen. That's faith. That's what a believer will do. That's why he's called a believer, because he lives as one who believes God. And on the basis of that, the Bible says he will be kept. And it's been an argument through the years, down through the ages. There has been great debates about the security of the believer. In the Reformation time, in the 1500s, there was a, a Dutch reformer. His name was Arminius, Jacob Arminius. And when he died, his followers developed from his teaching five points To salvation or five points that believers ought to walk by and they took these five points to one of these big meetings they had to sort things out in those days there was a lot of new things going on the bible was being printed the reformation started luther and, and calvin and all of that was going on and people were seeing things different from the catholic way the world had only seen things things were changing and a lot of new ideas were coming up and then spiritual men had to sort these things out so that they weren't believing just anything because the devil likes to get in that crowd. So they had what is called a remonstance or a protest. They took these five points to the big meeting and over seven months these men looked at this and they sorted it out and thought about it, discussed it, debated it, searched the scriptures about it and they came up with what we call today the five points of Calvinism pointed out by the word tulip as an acrostic. T means something in you know, total depravity that man is so lost that he cannot by any act of his own save himself. He cannot just choose God someday. He's not capable of that because he's dead in trespasses and sins. An unconditional election, the U for tulip means that God did not foresee or predestine a man to salvation because he foresaw that somewhere in the future he would accept Christ as they call it and therefore well I'm going to elect that one no sir the Calvinist said was not conditioned on what God saw you might do but from the foundation of the world God chose he made that choice Jesus said you didn't choose me I didn't wait till you made a decision to find out if I wanted you to be mine He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Isn't that right? And then when he came to the L, it was called limited atonement. And boy, what an argument goes over there that Jesus died for his own. He came to secure the salvation of the ones the father gave him. And boy, that's been debated for a long, long time. The blood that was spilled at the cross was sufficient to save all men. But it will be effectual. That's why the word effectual is added to that, because it will only be effective for those who will receive it. And that's been true. I stands for irresistible grace in tulip, which means that when God chooses to show his grace to somebody, the man will respond to it. Do you suppose that God has the power over a man's will? Does he? Does God have power over a man's will to cause a man to do what he wants? You know, there's many instances of it in the Bible. How about Egypt? When God led his people out of Egypt, they came out with gold and silver. These guys were slaves. Israel was a slave nation, 400 years. No education, no army, no fight. They were just slaves. They made pyramids. And they were a nation inside of a nation. You know that here was Egypt, and inside of Egypt was Israel. And he led them out. And before he led them out, he said, go to these people, the Egyptian lords, and tell them you want their gold or silver, and they're wearing apparel. How many people could come and knock on your door and say, I want your gold watch if you got one. I want your silverware if you got any. Maybe you got a lot of Tupperware, but I want whatever you got. And I want your best clothes and your best shoes, and I'd like to have your car also. How many of you would just give it to them? Well, chances are you'd die nine something. (laughs) But you see, when God gets in that equation, they did whatever they were asked to do by a bunch of nobodies. The Israelites were nobodies. They knocked on the door, haggard as they must have looked and dirty as they must have been. And they said they wanted this, and the people started bringing it out and giving it to them. How many of you know that God is ruler over his creation? And he does whatsoever he wills in the kingdom of man. Now, Christians don't think a lot about that because the average Christian has humanized God. They see God like themselves. He's like you. He feels like you. That's why we attach feelings to God that God just longs for you and God just wants you so bad. We put those kind of human traits on God. He's not like that. He's God. He is beyond your finding out by just reading and searching. God can only be known by revelation. And when he is known because he reveals himself to people, people uh, fall on their faces. They begin to put their hand to their mouth They begin to see themselves as what they are, as wretched sinners before God. They have no boast, they have nothing. All they can do is be quiet before a holy God. But very few Christians have ever had such an experience. I hear people in the charismatic walk a lot. They talk about how God talks to them. You know, one day God said to me, he said, hey, Bill. And Bill said, yeah. You know what's wrong with you today, Bill? And they get to talking like they and God just having a good old buddy conversation. But I'll tell you what, He's much greater than that. I think when God speaks, you stop. There's something bigger about God than you can imagine, but He's not like us. To be sure, today in the Godhead, there's a human experience. Jesus did become a man. He did live in a body of like flesh as we are. And he did on our behalf die for us. And he did die and shed his blood. Therefore, he knows about us. He knows from our side how we feel and is able to help us when we come to him. We have not a high priest who cannot relate to our problems. He's been where we are and so forth. But the grace of God is irresistible. When God wants to accomplish his person, man isn't gonna say, I don't know if i want to do that or not, man will. Because God isn't gonna decree something come to pass and then man say, I don't think so. And then the last point, I don't want, I've taken too much time with this, we need to teach on it, it's been 12 years. But the T-U-L-I-P, the P in tulip has to do with the preservation of saints. This has been a great debate also through the years. The Armenians believe that a man can fall from grace, be lost once he was saved, and maybe, I don't know, they maybe believe he gets saved again. But the Bible teaches, in antithesis or the opposite of that, the Bible teaches that you're kept. You're kept by the power of God. That God, when He saves you, takes the responsibility to maintain you through life. Now, you don't know that, so you have to believe that. For example, turn to John 10. Let me ask you a question Can a man be saved and know it? The wonder of it all that I can walk down here in this life in the midst of all the stuff that we're looking at and hearing and all the troubles and trials and the pitfalls and the roadblocks you walk through through life, that God can take people like us and do a work in us that ensures eternal life. Is that possible? Can a man know, can a man know that he is saved? Can he be safe? and kept in this life. Can I get up every day and know as a believer, now that's the qualifier, but can I know that as a believer that I'm on the right side of grace, that I am saved, that I'm going to heaven? If I die today, I'll be there after a while. Can I know that? Can you know that? Not many people say you can. People have been put out of churches before because they said that. They would read 1 John 5, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. And they say, well, you really can't know that. You have to live a life, and if you live it good enough, then you'll be weighed in the balances. And if you've got more good than bad, then you go to heaven. So most people believe in a works salvation. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to do a lot of good things, and then you find God's approval by the things you do. Well, that's nonsense. No man is good enough to do anything that God would say, oh, that's really good. The only thing that we can do is respond. Didn't Jesus say that we're unprofitable servants? That we have no boast. He said that in 1 Corinthians 1, we have nothing to boast of. Oh, but what about the great apostles, Paul? He said, we're nothing. We're nothing. We have only done what was required of us. And God could do that with anybody. God can pick whatever soul he wants to, whatever background, race, color, creed, style, whatever. He can take anybody he wants to and do whatever pleases him to accomplish his purpose. And when he does that, this person cannot boast of what they did because it was God who did it through them. I don't know how much today, in this generation, how many people think about things like this. How many people inquire of God, as Job said, acquaint now yourself with the Lord. I don't know how many people seek after to know God as who he is and see themselves in the light of that. Looking into the mirror and seeing what you are and seeing what he is and then say, oh boy. But the idea that God could take somebody as bad as I was, as bad as I thought I was, I was probably worse. You probably were too. And yet God took people like us, people who drag their feet, complain way too much, so easily distracted, get involved in so many things that affect us, and yet, here we are, still after all these years, God in his long suffering and patience is still keeping us from giving up and walking away. Look how many people did. Look how many people do. Look how many people are. And yet you can't do it. Even those who gave up for a while and went backwards, said, ah, they couldn't stay away. You know why? Why? Because a long time ago, he that started a good work, made it his intention to finish that work. And if he started it, he will finish it and you will get finished. He will. Because he's God and he can do that. In John chapter 10, at verse 28, we'll get 29 in just a minute, it says the same thing. But verse 28 says... And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall what? Let me see it again. Only God can give it, but he says, when I give it, the ones to whom I give it will never perish. He didn't say they wouldn't struggle and stumble and have moments of difficulty in this life. He didn't say that. But he said they will never perish. They who have it will not perish. But he said, at the end of that verse, he said, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Did he say that? Well, think of this. I've been looking forward all week to this and next week because next week it'll heat up a little bit. But every Christian needs to know this. Every Christian needs to determine if you are, and if you are, you got to live and make your calling and election sure. And you do that by trusting God and walking his way. That's part of it. He ordained that too. But he said in this verse that no man is going to pluck me out of his hand. In other words, when God saved me, when he got a hold of you, he's got his hand on you. Amen? Yeah. And nobody is big enough, strong enough, able enough to pluck you out of his hand because the choice he made, he keeps. Amen. You're his. Now you may feel like you're going through this. Peter must have, all the disciples must have had moments where they don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, uh, it doesn't look good to me. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But his hand was there. Remember in Isaiah, he said, a mother with a suckling child, a nursing baby, she could sooner forget her baby than I could forget you. He said, I have graven you on the palms of my hands. You're going nowhere. I didn't call you out of darkness to walk in my light to let somebody take you away. I've got you and I want to keep you. I have got to know that. I want to know that. I want to know that God who saved me doesn't have a really good grip on me and that somebody's going to snatch me out of his hands. Or that I'm going to start this way and try it for a while and then like so many others, you know, I just kind of fade away and then go back to where I was. God, I don't want that to happen. He says, for his, it won't. For his people, it will not. No man shall pluck them out of my hand. Does it say that? We call this the preservation of the saints. You're preserved or you're kept. I mean, it says it so many times in the Bible. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 18, it says, he will deliver me and preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. He will keep preserve, and deliver me. Back in the Psalms, in Psalms 121 and verse 7, he said, He will keep me from evil and preserve my soul. He'll do that. In Psalms 41, verse 2, he says similar things. More than once, he says that his intention, when he grabbed you and saved you and brought you out of the miry clay and set you in his courts, he made you his own. You're his. He's going to keep you, but he's also going to do a work in you that's going to make you think on occasion maybe you're not his. You feel like quitting? Every sermon has your name on it? You're not doing as good as you'd like to do? After all these years, this is as far as you've come? I don't know. I don't know. But yet that's what drives us to striving to enter in to that narrow gate. God made it that way. He lets your humanness come out just enough along life's road. When you feel like you're just, you can't, you're not and so forth. Then he pulls a little light up in front of you and and lets you know that you can do it, but you're going to have to tighten up. Oh God. And then you're driven to your knees and then you go into that place called the closet. That place where God sees the real you. Those desperate moments when you cry out to God. You're not casual anymore. You're not taking stuff for granted. Oh, well, you know, I'm saved. I'm going to have my name in the bowl of life. <laughs> You're not like that. It's a serious matter. Scripture talks about your salvation being of such that with fear and trembling, you get through this. Sometimes you don't feel saved. You don't look saved. You don't even sound saved. You messed up, dropped the ball. You didn't do well. But you got convicted because God does that. And he made you go into that closet and, oh, God. And you plead with God and you pour your heart out of God because that's what the elect will do. When you're not his, when you're a tear and not wheat, you feel bad about what you did, about what you said, what you did last night, what you drank last night, who you were with last night, what you watched last night. Ah, I shouldn't have done it. I should but you'll do it again. But when God convicts you, when the hammer falls, you can't get away from it. There's no place to hide, no hill to climb, no death you can find to get away from God. He chose you to salvation. He's not going to leave you alone. And when he gets done with you the work that he must do, he will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant, which he cannot say to the rest of creation. And he can only say that to you because he did a work in you. A work which kept you in his favor and in his grace. He did that. But what about that verse enduring to the end? Let me share with you two verses. Go to Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Ezekiel 36. You're probably familiar with this. I hope you are. And verse 25. I want you to listen to the words In light of the believer's security, this is part of that secure safety system I'm talking about. The revelations in the Word of God to His people that keeps them worshiping and praising God and having hope in spite of. Verse 25. God said, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. This is probably the verse that he was referring Nicodemus to. He said, you're a teacher of the law and you don't know what the new birth is. This is a new birth. This is something that only God can do, which he will do, and he has done. But he describes it here of what God does that so changes your life that you never get away from God. A new heart and a new spirit. Do you see it? God alone can do it. This is what he does when he does it. And then the next verse says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statue. Does he say that? Let me ask you all a question because I know you love to be asked questions and I know you can answer them. Can God make you willing? (laughs) You're in here because he made you willing. If God had not done something with all of us, we wouldn't be in here. We'd be taking advantage of that sleep this morning or visiting some old dive somewhere or running around with some old girl or some old boy. That's what we have been doing. But he did something. Strange how he affected you instead of your buddies and your, I thought of this a thousand, two thousand times in my life, all the guys I grew up with, all of them more capable and better, smarter than I am. Why in the world would he pick me? Why would I be one of those choices? I don't know. I look at you and say the same thing. Why you? I don't know. He certainly didn't go up to the top to cream the crop. He didn't get any movie stars, any athletes, no great politicians or inventors are in here. Y'all look pretty common to me because you got a common man talking to you. We're not very sophisticated. We're just pretty common folks. If you're from some other part of the country, even in Kentucky, God has done a good work. Even down here, but God can take somebody like me and you who didn't want to do any of this and make us want to do this. God can have you think about things driving down the road about your life that bother you. God can put those thoughts in your mind. The devil says, "Oh, you're all right. Nobody's perfect," and that's your excuse for going on the way you were. Nobody's perfect, I man. Come on, man. You know, come on. Give me a break. That's the devil's language. But God says, I'll have to judge you, and I'll have to judge this. If you don't change, then I'll have to judge you, because I cannot tolerate that. And whom I love, he said, whom? The ones that I love, I chasten. How many of you know it's obvious that the whole Christian world isn't chastened? well maybe I can spur your thoughts on to think about things a little beyond yourself. But he said whom he loves he deals with. And when he gets done dealing with them he says well done. They get their eyes open. They get more straight, more firm. Holiness begins to come into their life and take over. Old things pass away. All things become new. You're going from glory to glory to glory. The measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. And you're finding something that only those that God leads can ever find. It's the work of God. In ordinary people. He does that. And he said, and I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Let me ask you all a question. If I today, if I am walking in God's statutes, is it because I'm pretty smart? No. If you're walking in his statutes, is it because you're smart? No. No. We are only responding to the divine influence. We call it the divine nature. Inside of you becomes the machine, the motor that drives your life and God is able to make you realize (laughs) that. I'm not saved because I read things and now I have a greater will to do it. I was willing only to die and perish until God did the work that he's doing it brought me out of darkness. Turn to Jeremiah 32 and verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with Tom Hamilton. I'm going to put my name in there. You can put yours in there if you want to, or you can just say, no, this historically is only speaking of God's people Israel. Well, you can do that too. But I'll tell you this, all the promises are Yes. So anyway, do what you want to with that, but I will make an everlasting covenant with this preacher that I will not turn away from him to do him good, but I will put my fear in his heart and he will not depart from me. Whoa. Then what keeps us from departing from God? Somebody help me. What will keep you all this morning, if I'm talking to you, what will keep you from one day turning away from the Lord? The fear of God. His fear. How do you get that? It's a revelation. You begin to see who He is. The word used in the Bible is terrible. Not a good word for English-speaking people, but the word "terrible" means awesome, beyond description. We don't have words that can adequately define God. He is awesome. There's not enough words. He's God. He's not just a Sunday school subject. He's not somebody whose name is mentioned in Sunday morning in a church for the socially proper people. He's God. He's creator. Made the world, everything that is, measured out the earth with a little, like we would, with a little sand in your hand. Measured the whole earth like that. Controls everything by the power of his word, Hebrews 1 says. By the power of his word, he controls all things. He can speak to dead people and they come out of the graves. And one day he'll come with the voice of an ark and he'll shout again, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Because he's God. Nothing is too hard for him. He is unlimited, he is almighty is awesome. That's the way he describes himself in the scriptures. And he said, again, in that verse, verse 40, he said, I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. You're not going to walk away. Not if he put his fear in you. Are you with me? No wonder the Bible says you're kept by the power of God. You're kept by the power of God in our text, First Peter 1. We are kept, secured, secure. that's our title. We are kept, preserved, made secure by the power of God who chose to do something and he will not let anybody else keep it from going on. What He said in John 10, he said, I give unto them eternal life and no man shall pluck them out of my hands? He said in verse 29, he said, no man shall pluck them out of my father's hand. Is Jesus equating himself with the father? Of course. You're dealing with the same essence. It's God. Now think of it. I choose to believe today that God, on June the 30th, 1968, At five minutes to 12 in the first Christian church on the corner of Water and Harrison Street in Charlestown, Indiana. He did something that had never been done before. He touched my heart. He gave me a new spirit. Something changed on the inside. I couldn't define it. I was too ignorant to define it, but I knew something had happened. I'm still learning about it. And I think of the many struggles through the years and the moments. I can smile now because even though I wasn't sure what I was going to do, God was. In the snowy roads of yesteryear and the tense moments, he was there. His hand was in control of everything in my life. I couldn't have wandered away then if I'd tried to, and I think I did. My team got beat in a sectional tournament. And you would have thought the world came to an end because my school got beat by a bunch of Catholics. <laughs> oh, I was ready to quit until the preacher called me a crybaby. I was getting away from fussing and struggles in those days, but I didn't like what he said. He wasn't very big. He wouldn't have had much chance, but I, I, you, know, you can't fight with a preacher. He call me a baby. But, Look like at Bonnie and I. How many times it shouldn't have worked? How many times we shouldn't have had good things? How many times that, the, you know, this feeble little faith that we had that kind of, <coughs> and he turned it into something that we go, whoa. How many times you laid hands on our children or laid hands on this, asked for that, launched out and bleed for a car? <laughs> He did it, inspiring us to hold on. You have to hold on. How about this thing about enduring to the end? Can we endure to the end? Not without him, we can't. You'll find 10,000 reasons the devil will give you that make sense as to why you can't do it, why you're not good enough, not strong enough, not spiritual enough, why you can't do it, and you'll walk away because you believe what the devil said. But when God puts his word in your heart, He will cause you to walk in his ways. Can you follow me in a few scriptures? If I said, turn here, now turn here, now turn there, would you do it? Turn to somebody beside you and say, I'd be glad to. Turn, tell them, all right. John chapter three. Boy, everybody knows where that one is. God's safekeeping. No man, he said, shall pluck them out of my hand or my father's head. Now, the first verse of scripture, Mrs. Wallace taught me to memorize on her porch when I was a young boy. Y'all don't know Miss Wallace. You never will know her. But she called, told me to come over and get on her porch, and I was scared not to, but I did. And she told me this verse. She had her Bible. She was reading it. And she read to me John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only unique son. The Greek word is the only one of a kind. That's why there are no other worlds and no other people out there in space that need to be redeemed because there was only one son and he died once. That's it. Whoever believeth in him should not what? Perish. But have what? That, folks... It's what we call eternal security. If that doesn't imply security, there isn't any verse that does. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Look at verse 15, the verse before that. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he says it again. God so loved the world that this is what he gave. And whoever believes in him, not whoever says I believe in him, but whoever believes in him. Anybody can say I believe in God. You can say anything you want to. But believing is an action. I think it's still a verb, isn't it? It does something. Faith is a noun. Believe is a verb. I don't have believe in God. I have faith in God. I'm not faithing in God, I'm believing in God. You know, that's a good lesson in English this morning. I was a good English student. But anyway, I wasn't. I don't want to lie to you. Never cared for English. And all literature and all them hard to pronounce names and all them poems that never did make sense. Tried to read one, I didn't know what they were talking about. I probably got the right answer to the test because I sat beside smart people. But anyway... I might have, I don't know. (laughs) God so loved Tom Hamilton that he gave him eternal life. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't stop doing the old things I'm doing and be deserving of it. It had to be given. That's why it's called grace. Folks, there's not a one in this room that can gain, earn eternal life by doing something. All you can do is believe and God has to give you that. It's a gift of God. Your faith is a gift of God. That's the only way that it made sense. One day you could sit cleared up just enough for you to realize that's right. And then God put it in your heart to want it. To know it's right. To know it's true. And you responded because God gave you all of that. Was it grace and faith? Aren't they together? Isn't that instilled in Ephesians 2? I'm sure it was it verse 6. Anybody know what Ephesians 2, 6 says? For by grace, through faith, are you what? Saved, Saved. not church members. Saved, redeemed, brought out of, into, made the personal property of God. His personal project is you. He started it, he's gonna finish it and you're not really too hard for him to do that with because God has all power and might. And that not of yourself, Ephesians 2, 6, he said it is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, both grace and faith and salvation. It's all of God. It's all of God. The more you learn about theology and the average Christian knows nothing about it. But the more we begin to adapt ourselves to theological truths, that the foundation of what we're supposed to be standing on, there are foundational truths that hold that up. And once you begin to get the picture and you begin to see what God says and how it works, you'll be more secure in standing fast than you ever thought you could be. Because God makes words blocks, building blocks. You stand on them. You hold fast to him. When you're hooked up with God, you're not going to fall away. You'd stumble. A just man, a righteous man may fall. He may even backslide for a moment, but he's not going to stay away because God's called him to be with him. And in fact, I imagine while he was backslid, he learned something he didn't know he learned until he came back to God. Maybe it's the awfulness of what it is to be lost or feel lost. I think of that song, when the struggles you're facing are slowly replacing your hope with despair. And this process is long and you're losing your song in the night. But what's the other verse say? You can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure, Isn't that a good song? That is a good song by somebody whose words you can understand. It wasn't one of them kind. You know, it was a song that you could understand. Well, I grew up a long time ago, dark ages. How much you want to approach God and sit down and be still and shut up and let, or excuse me, and quit talking so much and learn who he is. The more the reality of who He is begins to take over your life, your choices, the way you live, and you get that word called peace. And God uses the word peace to show how His peace will keep you in the New Testament. You're kept by His peace. Your mind is changing, the whole way you live and think is changing. Your mind is being renewed that you can determine the will of God. The only thing that's important in your life is his will. Not your well-being, not your future, not your toys. His will. That's the only important thing. Because everything comes from that. You do that, everything else falls in place. Marriage, love, kids, needs. Everything falls in place when you put the will of God first. That's why your mind has to be renewed so that you can prove what his will is. Go to John chapter 6 and verse 39 and 40. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me. Did he give him you? Did he pick you? Are you his? All right, he's talking to you there. Jesus says, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me that of all which he, God, hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. I am going to be raised up in the last day. Will you? Are you his? There's only one thing you can do about that. That's to make your calling and your election sure. The word elect, a theological term, has to do with the choice of God from the foundation of the world as to who would be his people. Election. That's Ephesians 1. And when you came along, when you were here on this earth, it didn't look like you were going to be much of anything other than a, another sinner. But lo and behold, one day God broke your sinful heart, and my sinful heart had us weeping, godly sorrow. I still recall that day standing on the back side of the church, back there holding onto the pew, a basketball coach. Honestly and truly, when I stand, I did not want to let go of what I was doing. In coaching, you have to cuss. And you have to cuss well. You have to be able to say things to inspire. (laughs) God help us. To inspire kids, you had to learn to be critical because you had to go out and scout teams and criticize everything they did. And you had to talk down and against and you had to tell lies. And tell this kid who couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time how good he was. To try to get him to do better, because life was all about you and advancing me. We're using you, kids. I want to do better. It was such a world. And I was back in the church, and they, just as I am, I'm sitting there holding on, and I, God was there. That one plea, I had no excuse. But that thy blood was shed for me, oh God, I'm no good. And then verse two, just as I am, waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, Miss Bonnie squalling like a baby. (laughs) I want to go forward. I'm thinking that I'm, anybody needs to go forward, you do, and you need to go forward. <laughs> you need to get up there. I didn't say that. that, was pretty light. At the time, all I could do was scoot back, I rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can, and, and I thought, oh God, and I made it. I merely shifted my weight from this side, you know, to this side, you know, you're trying to leave church You do this, you know, well, I kept it going. It just kept going. I got out now. <laughs> I went down front crying. It was the first time in my miserable life that I was willing to admit that I was a sinner. And I knew that everybody was watching me. And I thought I was so important that everybody quit singing, everybody quit doing it. Everybody was saying, Oh, there goes Tom. They were all crying, but I thought they were looking at me. Because we're so self-centered. And I'm down there leaning over Bob Morgan, of all people. Leaning over him, trying not to fall on him, holding, crying, asking God to save me. And he did. I couldn't tell by some bird that flew out the window or some sign in the sky driving home. I just knew that there was something in me I never had. It's still there. Never could get away from it. Don't want to. Never left me. Even in the darker moments of my life, I was still aware of my beginnings that what God started, he's going to finish it. You're going to be his. And how he did this and did that, I tell you folks, I look back now, I'm telling all of you, especially you younger folks, you think you've got so much to live for while you're young and you want to be cool. It's a waste of, of time. And all that trash you're putting in your mind, you'll have to overcome it when you get saved. It'll become a problem for your life, it it was mine. And the sooner you can just say, God, is a song we used to sing, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. What a wonderful prayer. And then you come to Jesus and you don't go back to the world. Because God says at that moment when you really do and things change, you are into the hands of God for the rest of your life. You will be raised up at the last day. You are secure. He will keep you and no man is going to pluck you out of his hands. There is no better information for a Christian in this life than that. There isn't any. What's better? I don't take for granted, well, I'm secure and safe. I can, you know, like a a man years ago, a car dealer, he said he could die drunk in the arms of a bad woman and go to heaven. And I said, whoo, that ain't no way to die. That'd be a bad way to die. You think you're going to heaven because you raised your hand? You think you're going to heaven because you went forward? I pray with lots of people. Lots of people that came forward that left and went backwards. I've seen hands raised my whole life. There's only a few of us left of all those people. You know why you're left? Because God had his hand on you. Amen. He graven you on the palm of his hand. You may try to leave, but he'll make you so miserable you can't stay left. Right. You'll come back. God wants you to know That he that started this good work is going to finish it. Turn to Philippians 1. I know you know this verse, Philippians chapter 1, and your favorite verse, verse 6. Philippians 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will what? Let me ask you a question, all of you. Has he started a work in you? Are you sure? It's your call. Are you sure? You shall know them by their church membership. Nope. You'll know them by the way they live. And will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's security, isn't it? Look at chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and, 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 and. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace. Guards and keeps. You know what verse 8 says. Don't look at it. You know what verse, what's the first two in verse 8? Whatsoever things are. True. Honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. Oh my. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Those are words to us, aren't they? The peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds. Nobody's going to get in there and turn you away. God has given you something that the world cannot know. Beyond understanding is peace. That's something which accompanies the divine nature that gives such assurance to what you've got, that you're at peace with God no matter how much turmoil is in the world. That's why I tell all of you, forget all of this political stuff in the world and who's lying and who's dying and who's up and who's... That changes nothing. Think on the things in verse 8. Think about that. If it's a good report, think about it. And then in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, wherefore he is able. Who's able? Say the Lord. Wherefore, the Lord God is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for them. Whom does he make intercession for? I'm asking you, who is he praying for? Is he praying for the world? He said in John 17, specifically Jesus said, I pray not for the world. But I pray for those thou hast given me. Is that you? Boy, I pray that it is. Seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for him, he is able to save because he prays. You're in his prayers, you're in his thoughts, you're in his deeds, you're in his actions, you're in his pursuits. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, never forget you. He keeps you in the palm of his hand and he'll never let you go. It can't get any better than that. Folks, listen, if we don't have that, all the other teaching that we do, all the other efforts at being church, it's just academic. We've got to have this. We have got to be saved and we've got to know that we are saved. This has to be so. Psalm 37, as we come to a close, I cannot believe that you've taken that much of my time this morning. We're only a partially through. But it's okay because we're in no hurry. Psalms 37. We could get 21 for those who don't bring things back, but let's get verse 22. Verse 22. For such as is blessed of him shall inherit the earth. Didn't we start there this morning in 1 Peter 1 about an inheritance? Didn't we? Okay. Such as are blessed by the Lord shall inherit the earth. And they that are cursed of him shall be cut off. Verse 23, the steps of a good man are made firm or ordered by the Lord and God will delight in his way. Now let me stop right there. What makes God delight in the way we live? Of doing what he ordered us to do, right? He has to give us that. We can't even walk the right way in our life unless we have this inspiration and to know this is the right way to live. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And when you live in his way, he delights in your way. Just like when you respond to all of his promptings in life and all the chastisements and all the corrections that he brings in your life and you wind up the way he wants you to be. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you bow your head and say, I couldn't do any of this without you. I've only responded. Everything in me wanted to go that way, but your influence and your presence in my life made me want to go this way. Folks, I think there are thousands and thousands of really good people in the church who would like to follow after the Lord, but don't. They just can't stay on track. And yet, you can. Why? Does God have anything to do with this? Well, I'll leave you to sort that out. I'll just say that he said in in verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but verse 24, you need this one because this will happen though he fall. You probably will stumble a few times in your life. Maybe backslide. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? The word upholdeth means to sustain. Let me make a point of this so we can close. Even when you fall, even when you turn back. Even when you start walking away missing church and you know, you know you're know you not doing good. You're not putting God first in all things in your life. You know that. And said, though he should fall. Let's just use it that way. Though he should fall, he shall not be utterly cast down because God will intervene because when he started a good work in your life, he's going to finish it. He's not going to let you corrupt it. He upholdeth him with his... Hand, I have seen the young, he said, and now am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. The righteous, the righteous, never forsaken, never begging. I pray this morning you can have just a glimpse of how much God loves you not only to choose your miserable souls and mine out of the miry clay we had no right and didn't deserve anything of God. We were just a bunch of corrupt people. And God picked you up out of that, left a lot of people there, but he picked you up and brought you to him. There you are in his presence. And he began a divine work, putting himself in your life and acquainting you with him in various ways. Making you to see by a spirit of wisdom and revelation who he is. And begin to exacting from you, by his influence in you, right ways and right things. And you begin to give up this. And you, the transition from the old to the new has been a struggle and has been tough. And it's supposed to be. It makes you appreciate heaven more and he brought you to him and set you in his presence and is making you his own personal child. How could anybody love us like that? Everything he does is for your good and his glory. Everything. Everything. He knows our needs, he knows our beginnings. Never leaves us, never forsakes us. He cares for me, he cares for you. I know he cares, he cares for me. And da da de de oh hymns, they're still in my head. New generation says that we're getting away from all that stuff. I know it, and I can't understand a word y'all singing anymore. I can't, on occasion. The back and finishing in Psalm 37, verse 18. Psalm 37, verse 18 said, the Lord knoweth the days of those folks in Shelbyville and that preacher. Their inheritance shall be for a while. No, it says forever, doesn't it? Look at the 19th verse. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. You know why? Because God is in control. Some of us would fall prey in times of weakness. Some of us can't take as much as others and God knows our weaknesses and he gives us his strength. When you're strong in the Lord, you can do all things through Christ. Can't you? He strengthens you. Now, leave that in your mind for the rest of the week. Don't believe it because I said it. You search it yourself. But think about this, that God Almighty created a world, put you in it, and at a particular time in this world, he called you by name, brought you to him and is changing you and preparing you for an inheritance heaven and you will live eternally with God. It can't, to use badly, it can't get no better. Double negatives, you know how, but it cannot get better than that. It just can't. And you're a part of it. They were rejoicing one time, they came home he said, Lord, even the devil is subject to us in thy name. Oh, we went out two by two, and they were casting out devils, doing, you know, raising the dead, healing the sick. Woo, you know what Jesus said? After he said, I beheld Satan's lightning falling from the sky, he saw that happen too in Isaiah 28. But anyway, he said, rejoice, not because the devil is subject to you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven while you're still on this earth. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of Blessed be the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus. Glory to God. The Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Jesus. Amen. The Lord. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Be blessed this morning and go your way and remember the Bible said rejoice evermore for this is the will of God. Amen. Tell somebody, said I believe it. You're free to go home. God bless all of you. Amen.